and welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Podcast. Today we are continuing our series of talking about how to listen to your body. We started by talking about what the barriers are that prevent people from being able to listen to their body. And last week we gave the basics for beginners, uh, introductory, remedial, introduction to just senses and how to begin if you are truly terrible <laughs> at listening to your body, like I am. And the reason we started there is because I, that's literally where I had to start. I had to go way back. And uh, today we're moving on to the, you know, for the regulars, <laughs> for they're just like, how do I listen to my body? Normal people level. Typical people. Yeah, typical people. Yeah, I know we're not supposed to say normal because what's normal and it seems so like in one way negative and yet also aspirational. Yeah. But <laughs> whatever. I have been uh, told that people with lecithymia like you don't need to think about it as a deficit. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm still struggling with that like notion of it's a difference. It's not about normality. It's about something else. People vary. I'm going to go ahead and call it a deficit because it has put you in the hospital. Your inability to connect with the signals of your body has caused you disease. Multiple times. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Although I was just sitting here just now going, is my digestion bad? Like, am I, did I... Am I having a bad react? Do you have a stomach ache? I, something in my stomach is weird, and then I realize that it's menstrual cramps. Oh, yeah. So, like, it took me a solid ten minutes to discern menstrual cramps from potential, like, food poisoning. Jesus. That seems like a fucking deficit to me. I mean, I do uh, sometimes... There's a relationship between, like, abdominal cramps of different kinds. Sure. And God knows menstruation can be associated with digestive distress. So sometimes they truly do go hand in hand. Yes. I'm going to call that, like, advanced body signals. It's not, it's not, like, PhD level, but that's definitely, we're at undergrad level study. That's not what you get in high school in terms of understanding your body. Differentiating between menstrual cramps and digestive distress associated with menstrual cramps and just digestive distress that's that's a 400 level class no because now that i know and i've identified it as menstrual cramps it's completely obvious to me oh. that it's totally different so it's the equivalent of my experience in like sixth and seventh grade when we first started menstruating right when i was learning to tell the difference at the very beginning yes okay I still have to do that. It's not the kind of cramps where it's like, oh, it's a menstrual cramp. I mean, it is. It it's is. that. Okay. But it still t took me 10 minutes to be like, wait, which one is that? Yeah. Anyway, so today we're, so yeah, in fact, we are going to start with like what to start with. And I do agree that like discerning what kind of pain you're in is step two or three. But in fact, yes, the first thing to start to do is to notice pain because I expect that evolutionarily we are programmed to notice pain before any other sensation to register discomfort because that means something's wrong and our body needs us to take some kind of action to fix it. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's a good place to start. And our step one, so, so far you've done sort of like the remedial, noticing your exteroception, noticing the way physical stimulation from the outside world changes your internal experience and you're meditating you're just noticing what it feels like to brush your teeth because that's an external stimulus causing sensations inside your brain or perceptions inside your brain and you're sitting on a park bench just noticing everything that's going on around you and noticing what it feels like to notice those things that's exteroception and our transition into step actual one is noticing what's going on just inside your body yeah and the thing that we call pain how nerdy do you want me i'm not going to get very nerdy i'm just going to say that our brain receives signals from our peripheral nervous system so all of the nerve endings from all over our body, from the very tips of our peripheral nervous system and our skin surface, into our viscera, our guts, our muscles, our tendons, and uh, all those body parts send up information to our brain. And our brain receives that information, and the information is like, so what do you think? And if there is a credible threat, your brain will translate that into pain. Does that make sense? Yep, 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 exactly. And we have nociceptors in our peripheral nervous system, which are specifically harm detectors. Like if something activates this particular set of nerve endings, the likelihood that it is harm is higher. Mm -hmm. And so uh, your brain notices those with extra special attention and is like, uh, is this harm? And sometimes no. But sometimes, yes. Right. So Allegra asked in the first episode, well, wait, if you stub your toe, you notice it, right? And the answer is, oh, yes, yes, yes. I will experience acute pain first thing. Yeah, absolutely. If I, if I cut my skin, I always notice that. However, I often have bruises on me that I don't remember getting, that I must have bumped into something and just not noticed enough it, it wasn't sharp enough. It didn't get my attention to notice that like blood vessels had been broken. It maybe hurt, but I just didn't notice. Right. And you would not notice your toe being stubbed if you stubbed your toe in the process or even broke your toe in the process of running away from a life threat like being chased by a lion. Your brain would receive the information about your broken toe and be like, we have bigger things to worry about right now. So no. Exactly. Yeah. And the, that's the thing my brain is really great at is if I'm in the middle of something else, I do not notice any kind of discomfort. So I can be sitting and working, because I'm autistic, for six hours of hyperfocus, and then sort of come out of a trance, it feels like, and then become aware that my feet are freezing and I desperately have to pee and I haven't had anything to drink in six hours and I'm also starving. Like, I will not have noticed any of that discomfort that whole time yeah. because my brain can choose not to care about that discomfort for a, a long time. Yeah. So how, however, it is protective and helpful if you can notice and then do the things, and that's what we're here to talk about. Um, and so I'm going to say that the first thing to start with is, is pain, is discomfort. Because in my experience, it's easier to notice when you take the time to notice. Right, because there's a clear survival benefit. Right, exactly. There's a clear survival benefit. So it, it comes more naturally, I think, to me at least. So the next time you experience discomfort, just like, Notice the discomfort, you know, are you sitting uncomfortably in your chair 
and then your your back starts to twinge or your shoulders really tight. Uh, and this noticing the next step to take with the, oh, I feel a discomfort somewhere, is to explore what that is seeming to tell you to do. Is it information? Is it instructions about how to solve that? So just as an exercise, for example, if you are sitting, there's probably some part of you that's not going to be content sitting that way forever. Some part of you is going, I'm going to need you to uh, cross your legs the other direction. I'm going to need you to slouch back. I'm going to need you to lean forward. There's some information that wants you to change. So we were talking, I think, last week. I don't think we recorded it, but I was saying that I hate in meditations when they begin with, find a comfortable position. And like it's this slow, breathy lady speaking to tell you to find a comfortable position. And I'm like, that's just not a thing that I can do. I'm way better at finding an uncomfortable position and then noticing the kind of discomfort. I think that's the place to start. So like if you do start a meditation and the instruction is find a, a, find a comfortable position, I think find whatever position you're in and start to notice the discomfort and then allow yourself to adjust to see what makes the discomfort go away. Does this make sense? Yeah. For most people, that's one step. Okay. That, okay. <laughs> okay, good. So that's one step. That's great. First thing is notice uh, discomfort. The discomfort. And then yeah. make the change your body is asking for in order to ease that discomfort. And then that's inevitably going to lead to a new discomfort. And then you just keep going. Wax on, wax off. Right. Yeah. So then the next step would be to notice something that's not pain. Notice something that's pleasurable. This is easiest to do with food. If you have access to food that's delicious, uh, while you're eating something that's like your favorite thing to eat, turn your attention toward the sensation and see what it is that is the information that's coming from that pleasure. Is that telling you to do more of the thing? Or is it telling you like, that's enough, I'm done with that thing? Because there's information in pleasure too. Does that make sense? You can maybe explain that better than I can. Yeah, pleasure is in some ways more complex because there are so many different kinds of pleasure. And just as with pain, whether or not you experience a particular sensation as pleasurable is dependent on the context in which you're experiencing it. So to take like the big classic example, there's uh, tickling, yeah, which I know is not everybody's favorite, but even hypothetically, you can imagine being in a playful and even like erotic state of mind with your certain special someone and they tickle you and that could feel playful and good and make you be interested in more things. But if that exact same certain special someone tickles you when you're pissed off at them, how does that feel? Stabby. Yeah. Violence might shortly ensue. You kind of want to punch them in the face. Yeah. So the perception of the sensation is always dependent on the context. And so part of the exploration of pleasure is going to be noticing when pleasure happens in you and then going, so what is it about the current circumstances that are allowing my brain to interpret that sensation as pleasurable? I'm going to go ahead and say that maybe the most straightforward way to do this is if it's accessible to you, any kind of sugar, yeah, because yeah. it is inherently rewarding. It's a literal drug that just goes straight yeah. to pleasure. Yeah. When you put sugar water on the tongue of a newborn infant, it's opioid hotspots set off fireworks and they make this facial expression yeah. um, with tongue protrusions. <laughs> it's innate. So one of the reasons mindfulness meditation practice often begins with a raisin, those bad boys are chock full of sugar. <laughs> sugar, 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 yep. 
that's a that's a really good point. That's why I was thinking about food is because I, I was thinking about sugary food. But it's also true for other kinds of delicious things. It just isn't quite as immediate. Right. And some are more dependent on context than others, like tickling. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I'm going to move on to things that are neither positive nor negative. They just are. Mm -hmm. um, there is, I think there is a, I was listening to an episode of Radiolab and they were doing interviews with people asking them like questions about things that they feel embarrassed about and how honest people are. One of the questions is, I have sometimes enjoyed pooping. Does that ring a bell? Uh, in terms of the episode or in terms of like... In terms of I... the episode or the study or like what that research is? No, I never heard that. Well, they were doing this, asking this question, and what they were assuming is that, yes, of course, everyone has at some point in their lives enjoyed pooping just because it's a relief because you made it to the bathroom in time or because you were having digestive distress and this relieves it. But if anybody says no to this question, either they're in denial or they're actively lying but then there's this certain small percentage of people who'll just be like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, I've enjoyed pooping. Um, and the point of this is that, again, it's about context, of course, but it's also about shame and what you're willing to admit or notice or be honest about the fact that it is neither inherently negative nor positive and the sensation of pleasure or suffering is a little bit of a meta experience. And if you just notice the sensation without attributing it to a positive or negative affect or experience or, or moral code, moral value, then your noticing of it actually, I think, becomes easier. Does that make sense? Olive has an opinion. Olive has feelings. Yes, the technical term for what you're describing is non-judgment. In the yeah. five-factor mindfulness questionnaire, there are five dimensions of mindfulness. And the one that is typically most associated with people's well-being is it's non-judgment. It's not about being aware or even being able to describe, but about being non-judgmental about what you're aware of, being neutral about it. And what I'm saying here is that judgment actually interferes with your ability yes. to be aware. Yes. Yeah. So when you when you can unlearn the judgment, you actually have greater access to feeling the experience. Okay. A lot of people, um, they're, they have a barrier to noticing their internal experience. As soon as they turn toward their internal experience, it's... It hides. It, it either runs away and hides or they can't keep their attention on it. Something in their brain or in their mind is telling them, no, don't look, don't look, don't look because of it's loaded with shame or there's too much pain and too much suffering that's overwhelming them and there's there's fear about it or there's some kind of protective measure that is interceding in order to stop them from noticing how bad it is and what i'm saying is your internal experience is safe you are not going to be attacked by your internal experience you're not going to be you know, smashed by it or run over by it. It's not going to physically harm you. So for a lot of people, there is a lot of fear. And um, if you take a breath for a hot second and consider the possibility that if I keep my attention on this thing, I'll be safe. Nothing's gonna harm you. Not while it's inside your body. That was not really great scanning. But do you see my point? Yes, and I would uh, 
be devil arguing to say, so if I, so once, uh, when I was on book tour with Come As You Are, I met a former student who was like, Emily, I know you always told me mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness is good for you. Uh, and every time I tried mindfulness, I would drop my attention down into my body and it was terrible down there. It was sirens and flashing lights and big red warning signs. Stop. Pain. Horror. And eventually, after multiple times trying this, I thought, well, maybe that's not normal. Right. <laughs> that it would just be like, you know, an apocalypse inside your body. And so she went to the doctor and got diagnosed with fibromyalgia. She had been living with intense pain for years and just yeah. not letting herself notice it because it was terrible. Yeah. I think that this actually is not an argument against what I was saying. I think that it's an argument for what I was saying, that what she did not do was do it once and then notice sirens and alarms and, you know, firemen rushing in saying, get out, it's unsafe. Instead, she tried it several times and learned from that experience that maybe I should get help. Yeah. And to extend it from uh, physical pain, well, I'm... I don't want to classify pain as physical or not because that's complicated. But instead of like medical diagnosis of fibromyalgia, yeah, yeah, suppose it's a long history of trauma, abuse, or neglect where you're not physically injured, but there's a lot of emotional pain deep down in there. And you know what I say? Feelings are tunnels. You got to go all the way through them to get to the light at the end. And if you grow up in a household like ours, the rule is no feelings are not tunnels. They are caves with bats and rats and a river of cyanide. And if you go in there, you're going to die trapped in the dark right. and alone. Right. And so you go into your body and you notice that it's a cave and you're like, nope. Right. The only way you learn it's a tunnel is that you like take a deep breath and decide to be brave and go in as deep as you can until you f find out that there's another side. Yeah. There's an end. Which is why mindfulness practices, awareness of pain, for example, and of pleasure are the places where people start because they're fairly simple. Yeah. Yeah. And not ambiguous in the way that emotional distress can be ambiguous like we are still our step one is just noticing like your physical body sensations which it's going to turn out are not really separable from your emotional state but exactly but yeah the stage like how long did it take you to get from noticing your physical sensations to recognizing that sometimes those physical sensations were associated with a particular mental or emotional state i i currently know that that's true intellectually but Actively making the connection only happens if I choose to explore it. I don't remember it in the moment when it's happening. Now I'm like, oh, aha, this is one of those things. Maybe if I look a little deeper, I'll discover the connection. Okay, so that's definitely not part of step one. No, it's not fucking part of step one. Step one. <laughs> the connection between physical sensations and emotional experience is not fucking step one. Jesus Christ. What's wrong? So no. me being a freshman in high school and noticing my stomach felt a particular way while I was standing in the stairwell outside the auditorium at school, thinking about like, what's going on with my stomach? What is up with that? And going, oh, I'm nervous because I'm about to audition for the fall play. And I'm a freshman. It's my first time ever doing it. I see. That's not step one. It's not step one for anybody. 
<laughs> not even just not step one for me because I'm remedial. It's like that's not step one for anybody. No. So if you if you're listening to this and uh, you you totally resonate with that experience of being you know an adolescent or even a child and recognizing that you have a specific bodily experience and connecting it with a specific emotional experience, this podcast episode is not for you. <laughs> yeah, you're you're probably doing okay. You're, you're all, right. all right. Yeah. No, the but um so there is a relationship between physical pain of course and and emotional pain um mental anguish and they do both manifest physically and to both of them one of the blocks is a sense of shame or fear and it, it, like those exercise assholes who are like pain is is weakness leaving the body, body. like fuck you Sometimes pain is is no, it is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's no, that is that is like physiologically wrong. That is incorrect. Yeah, that's that's wrong. That is wrong. That's like saying starvation is weakness leaving the no, 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 (laughs) being done. Yeah, yeah. So we do have this sense, though, culturally, that pain is good for you. That if you if you if you buy into like that, having pain means that you are strengthening yourself, and that that's better. Um, this is one of the things that stops us from noticing our pain and being able to recognize what needs to be done in order to eliminate it. And judgment. So judgment, fear, shame, social pressures about like you're not supposed to have that. Does that make sense? Sure, it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be painful. The thing you're doing is supposed to be easy. Right. Comfortable. No. Yeah. So for those people who have said, I mean, when I turn my attention to my body, it's all I get is discomfort and and, and sirens and and I I just don't want to do it. That's awesome. That's amazing that you've noticed that about that experience. And that to me is an invitation to practice non-judgment and be like, okay, why? Why, where are these sirens? Like, you don't have to dig deeper into the pain. You don't have to go deeper to your body, but it is a chance to, like, be non-judgmental because that, that's a barrier to being able to go deeper. And there's probably a perfectly legitimate reason. Right. If you, if you have reason. pain and you judge it, it's like putting your fingers in your ears and going, la, la, la. Yeah. I can't hear you. I'm not in pain. Yeah. Whereas if you're non-judgmental, you're taking your fingers out of your ears and you're like, okay. What are you trying to tell me? Pain. Yeah. Or not even pain. Like what I was saying with like pooping with an experience that we're told is not supposed to be, you know, positive in any way or we're supposed to be ashamed of. Just notice that sensation. Just notice that sensation. Exactly. So I burned my hand seven years ago. I poured hot sugar and it it slothered all over my hand. Second degree burn. Um, It hurt a lot. Like, yep. a lot and I went into it was of course it was at night um and you know I'm not going to the emergency room for my hand although <laughs> hindsight is 2020 20. I should have gone to the emergency room honestly um but I didn't I waited and went to urgent care the next day and the doctor in the urgent care unwrapped my hand because I had you know put a bandage on it of course and he goes he looks at my hand looks up at my face and goes that's a second degree burn and I was like I know it hurts like fuck I said just completely straight face like unflinching yes this i can feel that it hurts but it's like i'm not you know i mean what am i supposed to doing like screaming and yelling and whatever no it it hurt like hell and um and he was amazed that i was not like more upset about it 
But I had also been practicing Tai Chi and meditation and non-judgment. And I could actually tolerate the pain because I understood that it was information that I was supposed to be acting on. And here I was acting on it like, a, you know, like I'm supposed to. Yay me. And it hurt for a long time. But after about four or five days of actively practicing noticing pain and not judging the pain, which genuinely did help with the experience. It wasn't as like, it wasn't torture because I was able to distance myself from it and to recognize that this is, this is good. My, my skin is telling me something bad has happened to it and that I need to be careful and it reminds me to be careful and it's fine. It hurt, but it's fine. And then there came on like day four or five when the, I couldn't distance myself from the pain. It like crawled up my arm. Not that my arm hurt, but it's like it, it crawled up my arm and my shoulder and took over my brain. So I went back to the doctor and it had gotten infected. So there's an example of my pain telling me when it was fine because it's healing and it's, there's no problem. It's just pain. And when pain is really telling me you need to do something about this. That's that great. Progress. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. So there, there was absolutely a point where like the pain was not just information, was not just pain. It like was instructions. It wasn't just an ongoing update of your healing process. It was uh, we've taken a turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this, I was actually quite proud of this because it meant that I, and honestly, my longest delay of going back to the doctor was thinking that, oh, I was wimpy because I just couldn't handle the pain. That actually did go through my mind. Yeah. Yeah, but but I did. And God knows plenty of people have experience with medical providers who dismiss their pain, especially women, especially black women. Right, yeah. And uh, that that was not what was going on. And I was really proud of the fact that like understanding the relationship between my pain and my brain, my mind, my attention, my imagination, when the pain took over my imagination and my thinking and made me unable to focus on anything else, I knew, I knew, I was so proud, I knew that I was, I needed to go get more help. Congratulations. That was, that was a big deal for me. But I haven't had a lot of those like physical injuries. Like I've never broken a bone or cut myself. I've never needed stitches. So that was the one experience I had with like an actual injury that needed attending. Thank goodness this was after I had started practicing non-judgment and creating observational distance because it probably would have been infected and been much more badly damaged long term than it ended up being. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm saying is step one is is notice pain. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. So what I'm saying is real step one is notice extreme sensations like pain or discomfort because they come most easily or other extreme sensations like pleasure or the really not extreme sensations that you don't have like physical intense experience of, but that you have emotional intense experience of. Like if you're not willing to talk about a sensation in public, that's a sensation you should turn toward to practice non-judgment. Those are the three things that I think are the first place to start with listening to your body and notice when the thing that's interfering that stops you from turning toward it, then turn your attention toward whatever the barrier is, whatever the blockage is with non-judgment. Um, if, if you're really being stopped from noticing what's happening inside your body, then notice the thing that's stopping you from noticing. Yep. Was, was that too many noticings in one sentence? I feel like it makes sense, but I'm the wrong audience. Well, then you try explaining it back and so you'll say it in new words that other people will understand better. 
So if there's a bodily sensation you experience around which you have a lot of feelings already, try practicing experiencing that sensation, say, for example, pooping, and reduce the volume of the emotions that you have around it and just turn your attention toward the sensation itself and see how different that experience is. Rather than having feelings about the experience, try just experiencing it uh, without having an, an opinion about it. Yeah. Yes? Yes. And it's going to be complicated because you're going to uh, be aware of the difference. You're going to be aware of the feelings that you are setting to one side. You're going to be aware of all the reasons why you learned to have those emotional experiences about this experience in the first place. And that's normal and healthy. That is, yes. I would say that's actually more advanced. That might be step one and a half. Well, I feel like that's part of step one because inherently when you turn your attention towards something, you're going to have feelings about it. Yeah. And practicing the non-judgment is, it has to go along with it. Creating observational distance has to go along with it. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I really like that you're starting with like sensations that are going to happen anyway instead of the place where I, being the opposite of you, would start, which is to suggest that people begin, like, a yoga practice. Oh, fuck no. Which is all about, like, paying attention to the sensations in your body with neutral non-judgment. And as Jessamyn Stanley says in her videos on the Underbelly Yoga app, she says things like, you're going to notice a lot of sensation. It's a lot. Like, this is a lot. That's cool. That's a lot. Just notice that. Instead of being like, this could be painful, this could hurt for you. No, it's just a lot of sensation. There's no danger here. Your body is communicating to you about... Okay, that's that's grad school. God, really? Yes. Okay. Alrighty then. Yeah. We need to start with not something we have chosen to do to ourselves. Okay, okay. But things that are happening already. Are you sure that's not just like senior year? I'm completely sure. Okay, okay. So only in grad school will you get to the point where you do stuff on purpose to create sensations toward which you can practice non-judgment. Yeah. Okay. Yoga, grad school. I mean, I mean, maybe for other people that's going to be easier for them than noticing stuff that's happening already. Maybe something they've artificially induced will be more, now that I think about it, might be more like, okay, I did this to myself. How does it feel? Like, Maybe that will be friendlier for people than actually turning toward an experience that's happening inside their body. And absolutely, that's a valid way in, too. Because there's a lot but of choice and control over uh, a yoga posture, for example, versus with pooping, maybe part of the barrier is that people feel out of control of their bodies. Yeah. And, like, they don't have a choice over when yeah. and how they have that experience. So maybe yeah. yoga is just, like, a different way in to yeah, awareness of a, a sensation. Door. Like, yeah. you are the one who decided... To try to touch your toes. Like, yeah. But, I mean, I'm structuring this series around, like, what I did and how I did it. Yeah. How I, someone with lexithymia, have learned how to listen to my body. Yeah. And I'm continuing to learn how to listen to my body. And, yes, doing things intentionally to make myself feel a sensation is something I do now. But how I did it to begin with was to start with, you know. What's currently going on. Noticing when I Without my pee. volition. Right, exactly. What What is actually going on with my body already right now? Because that's what I needed medically was to know what I was feeling so I could get help. Respond to your needs, yeah. Right. So yeah, I think probably the doing of the things is, is another good way in. And we will talk about it. But uh, for me, the order in which I learned to do things 
that didn't come till later. And I, and if you can, and part of this episode, I want to make sure that I'm acknowledging that it's not easy and that people turn their attention toward what's going on inside their body and they get signals from their body that say, no, don't do this. It's not safe. And that is either a lie because a, you are safe and you can turn toward the experiences in your body and you're, they're not going to harm you. Yeah, your internal experience is not a da- – experiencing your internal state is not in itself dangerous. Right. But if you are getting signals that say no, you do want to turn toward the signals. Don't push hard and like, you know, bash your way past them because they don't matter. They do matter. That's more information. Um, so you don't need to dig deeper, but do, you know, spend some time with those sensations and find out – does this mean that I need help medically? Does it mean that I should maybe talk to a therapist? Does it mean I could maybe join a group therapy, people who are experiencing the same things? Or or when I turn toward them and I say, okay, you're telling me not to do this, but I know that experiencing my own internal state is not dangerous. I know that this is safe. Does that just, does that allow the barriers to drop? Does that allow those signals to go, well, if you're sure, here you go. This is a really important distinction that I have never heard anyone uh, make clear in this way, that for some people, when they begin practicing mindfulness or Mm -hmm. non-judgmental awareness of their internal experience, sometimes the first level of their awareness of their internal experience is all of the defenses they have built up against awareness of their internal experiences. And therefore, their first thing to attend to is not their internal experience, but all those defenses, which are not there for no reason. Right. They, you, your brain built those without your being aware to protect you from some shit. I don't know what that shit was. Yeah. But like, and you maybe that shit's it. gone now and the barriers remain anyway. Yeah. And the only way you can find out is by like being, hi, sirens. Hi, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. You listen to them. You think you're protecting me from something dangerous. Um, but I know that what's happening inside me is not dangerous. Awareness of what's happening inside me is not dangerous. Awareness of what's happening inside me is not dangerous. Turning my attention toward it is not going to hurt me. It's not going to harm me. It might be able to help me because it might let me know like, oh, I need to go get this kind of help. Or it might help you, Sirens, because you're going to be like, all right, that danger is not that that pain isn't there anymore. You, You don't need me. Ha. So step one truly is. Turn your attention to the sensations happening in your body. You can start with the sensations that are happening automatically anyway because you live in an organic body. And it might be that the first thing you're aware of is not the sensations themselves, but all the defenses your brain and body have constructed between you and your internal experience. And when you do that, you do the same thing as you would toward a sensation itself, which is you turn toward it with kindness and compassion. Right. You shine a warm light on it. Yeah, patience and courage. And sometimes those those barriers that are coming from inside you are not self-constructed sirens saying there's danger. Don't go in there. Sometimes it's social external signals that have been internalized and just built up into a layer of residue. Hello, genital sensations. Yes, exactly. Like sometimes just there's a layer of grimy, greasy shame that's like, ugh, I don't want to touch that. And you know what? Just goodbye shame i don't need you you're not protecting me from anything you know i'm i'm just gonna be like hey yeah sometimes it's as simple as well goodbye shame and sometimes there's a lot of grief yeah 
that comes from having lived with that shame for so long and anger. Okay, so at the I'm autistic. So for me, the shame was just like, oh yeah, I don't need you. <laughs> That's nice for you. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot that other people are different. But the normies, <laughs> yeah, may experience some grief about having lived with that shame for so long and some rage at having been taught to feel ashamed of these bodily sensations that are normal part of living in a mammalian human body. Yeah. Or you can just dismiss it, and that's, if you can just be like, oh, I don't need you anymore, and just discard it, great. Yeah. So that's step one. Noticing your internal experience, and if you can't notice your internal experience, noticing the barriers between you and your internal experience, turning toward them with the same kindness, compassion, courage, and patience with which we are suggesting you turn toward your internal experience. Whether those barriers are internally built or build up from external messages. Right. Yeah. There was one other thing. What was I thinking? That the sensations that I'm suggesting you turn to first are intense ones like pain, pleasure, or ones that you have intense feelings about. Or, and specifically things that are innate rather than created. Exactly. Things that are innate. Although but people vary. If creating them is more, feels more safe to you or yeah. feels more obvious, then absolutely start with that if that's the way to go. But I'm telling you that my journey started with... And according to every sexual memoir I've ever read, yoga is the way in. Okay, yoga was not the way in for me. Well, I mean, maybe... I, I, I don't know that we're still on, like, the basics for beginners, but... This was basics for beginners for me. Well, no, this was, this was, this was high school for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't do this in high school. I mean, this is the high school level of training. It's not even an AP class. So you're aware, are you not, that human toddlers are the ones who begin to under distinguish between the urge to pee, the urge to poop, hunger, pain, loneliness. Okay, well, that must be nice for toddlers. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> if you asked me in junior high, if I said, oh, my stomach hurts, are you hungry? Do you have another set of stomach? Are you nauseous? Do you have diarrhea? I would have been like, I don't know. I'm not, this is not a, this is not actually a, if you ask me, I'm saying that I had conversations that went like this in junior high school. Oh, my stomach hurts. Are you hungry? Do you have diarrhea? Are you going to throw up? I don't know. Oh, okay. Are we trying to label sensations yet? Like, like you're saying. No. You don't need a label to know. So we're not even trying to, we're not even getting to your junior high level of being able to distinguish between cramps, hunger, digestive no, no, distress. No. I'm not saying that this is junior high level training. I'm saying that when I literally was physically in junior high school yes. at no, that no, no. age. I know. I'm saying, you didn't yeah, have yeah. even this when you were in junior high. But I'm right. saying, does step one include the laying on of a label or meaning or interpretation? No, 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 we're just God, noticing. No. no, yeah, this is how to listen to your body. And like putting a name on an experience is, I know you're like, how, in what way is that advanced, Amelia? It feels advanced. I say this as someone who in my 40s was in therapy and my therapist just in passing talked about my sort of rudimentary not, um, vocabulary about my emotions. She'd ask how I felt and I'd be like, happy, sad, angry. Like, I didn't have poetry about my feelings when I was in my, even now in my 40s. Like, I'm looking for, I'm looking for kindergarten words for my feelings. So, no, we are not labeling them in step one. 
Okay. <laughs> so we go back to 14-year-old Emily, who was like, why do I have this weird feeling in my stomach while I'm standing in the stairwell outside the auditorium? Step one is notice non-judgmentally that you have a sensation in your stomach. Yes. And, and stay with it. Don't just be like, stomach thing, and then ignore it. Yeah, stay with like, it. Like, when you have stomach thing... Stay with stomach thing. Hmm, hello. Yeah, it's good that you said that out loud because that was what I intuitively did. I noticed it and I was like, what's, what is, I was so curious about like, what, is this a, what, is it a problem? Is it, what's going on here? Hey, butterflies, what's up? This is what they mean by butterflies. Okay. Yeah. The idea of butterflies in my stomach always bothered me. But again, cool. I'm autistic. Yeah. I interpret idioms literally and I never liked that expression. Although I was I was in college when I was like, oh, butterflies, I get it. But like, yeah, I also got nervous before auditions in high school. And my experience of that was stomach. Okay, turn my attention towards something else immediately. Just like deny that it even mattered or that it was happening. Just like wow. push through no matter what. Yep. So uh, what is step two going to be? Is that going to be giving it a name? Uh, no. Step two is going to be listening to what the... Hold on, I can't remember anymore. I have it written down somewhere. We already included, uh, listening for instructions, basically. Listening for instructions. Because pain is, is an instruction, is, typically. That is, that is part of part one, because you're not going to be able to get away from, like, oh, I'm experiencing pain. Like, you're gonna want to do something about it, almost certainly. Hold on. Notice the point of oh oh noticing posture weight and balance. Okay, so we're gonna do proprioception next. Proprioception is next, yeah. So interoception was this episode. Proprioception is the next episode. Yeah. Cool. Because in my experience, that was more difficult for me. Other people are gonna be like, oh no, proprioception is much easier for me than noticing internal experiences. But I mean, the whole structure of this episode is me telling you how I did it. When you are the worst. When I'm the literal worst. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that is this episode of the Feminist Survival Podcast, colon, How to Listen to Your Body, Basics for Beginners. I'm Emily Nagoski. I'm Amelia Nagoski. All of this was written by us if it was written. Editing by my marital euphemism, music if there is any, by Amelia. And we'll be back next week with proprioception. Yeah. Until then, thanks for listening. Those bad boys are chock full of sugar. <laughs> sugar, 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 yep. The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.